If you're there on page 12 of your order of service, we turn our attention now to Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Having heard from four different sections of God's holy word tonight, we now summarize our findings through questions 12 through 15 of the Catechism. Let's read this responsively. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is also true God. Let's go to the Lord now and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace. As we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and building up of this congregation and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. Loan forgiveness has become a major topic of discussion the last couple of years, especially regarding that topic of student loans. And uh, some say that forgiving debt, especially, again, when it comes to that, that uh, ever-increasing burden of student debt, that to forgive that debt on a mass scale is a foolish thing to do because it teaches people that they don't have to take responsibility for their own actions. And other people on the other side of the argument say that it is a merciful thing to do to help people get back on their feet. Now, whatever you think about that discussion, here's the thing about debt. Someone has to pay it. Someone has to pay debt. Debt does not just go away. It it does not disappear. It's not magic. It cannot disintegrate. There's no chemical substance you can put on debt to make it go away. Someone has to pay it. Justice requires satisfaction. In other words, the principle of justice requires that all debts be paid in full. At some point, debts must be totally paid off. 
That concept of debt is at the center of our catechism questions this evening, but raised to the highest degree possible. We might even say to a cosmic degree, because we are speaking about debt as it concerns us toward God. We are the debtors. Our sins are the cause of our debts. And God is the one whose justice must be satisfied. If there is to be found a principle of justice anywhere, it is in God, who is justice. That is one of his divine attributes. And it cannot be any other way, because that is who God is. God's justice must be satisfied, or else he ceases to be God, because his justice is besmirched and and the debt is never paid. Well, this situation raises several questions that need to be answered for Christian people. If we are to have any assurance and godly happiness in the Christian life, because it's a very pointed and disturbing situation that we find ourselves in. We have debts against God and the debts must be paid. They must be paid. And tonight, as we enter into the second section of our catechism, the grace section, blessedly we have arrived there tonight, we find the only sufficient answer to that problem. The only sufficient answer that has, um, for many generations, been summarized with this label, penal substitutionary atonement. The doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. And to explain what that means and why it is important for us to grasp as Christians and to cling tightly to it, let's look at each part of that phrase. The first is the penalty. That's what we are speaking of when we say penal in penal substitutionary atonement. If you do not pay your debts off in any realm of life, if you don't pay your debts off, you will face penalties of one sort or another. And in Scripture, sin is depicted as a debt. It makes us debtors to God. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. It is another way of talking specifically about our sin and the, bad, the very bad problem that our sins cause. If we cannot pay off our debts, then we face, as the Catechism has already taught us, we face the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. Uh, we learned last week that not all sins are alike. Some sins are worse than others. It is true. Some sins um, rile up the, the wrath and anger of God more than others. There are degrees to sin. But all sins, no matter how big or small, are all committed against the God of infinite majesty and worth and glory. And therefore, all sins deserve this supreme penalty. All sins deserve this supreme penalty. And we, fellow sinners, have a terrible penalty hanging over our heads. We we are indebted to God. We have transgressed His law. And justice has got to be satisfied. And so there's a penalty that hangs over the entire human race. Now, 
The Catechism summarizes for us in question and answer 12 that there are two ways for this debt to be paid in order to escape the penalty. The penalty is eternal punishment, and there is a way of escape from the penalty. There is the first way, which is to pay the debt. Pay the debt in full. If you can do that, you escape the penalty. Let's say that a friend loans you $1,000. Pretty good friend. Let's say that the friend loans you $1,000. And uh, maybe it would take you a while, but you could theoretically pay that back. But this, this scenario actually breaks down when it comes to God. We apply the same scenario to God. Why? Because when it comes to God and our relationship towards him... As question 13 uh, teaches us, we increase our debt every day. You and I have a sin nature, which uh, our catechism has labored to convince us of so far. Uh, We have a sin nature. We're inclined to hate God and neighbor. And so because we continue to sin, we continue to rack up debt. It's like paying your friend back the thousand dollars. And then at the same time, asking for $2,000 from him. And then you just do that again. And you keep asking for more money from him, even as you're trying to pay off the debt that you, you uh, took from him the day before. And so it is with us before God. If you could devise a plan by which you somehow merited the forgiveness of all your past sins... And then you never, ever sinned again in thought, word, or deed with your desires or any of the secret inclinations of your heart. Then you're good to go. You can pay the debt off in full. But you can't do either of those things. You cannot merit the forgiveness of your previous debts. And you cannot make yourself stop sinning. Because though you have received the Spirit of God, you still have That horrible inclination to sin. We continue to rack up the debt. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 5. That this is a storing up of wrath for ourselves. There it is. The increasing of debt. The storing up of wrath. So the first option that the catechism has given us. Paying off the debt ourselves. Does not work. It is not a legitimate option. It cannot work. It can't. You cannot do it. Our previous debts are too large because of the one against whom we've sinned. And we only keep adding to the debt. And so, punishment of an eternal kind is the only sufficient penalty. That's the penalty. And that is the particular kind of penalty that we have in mind when we say penal substitutionary atonement. All right, then that second part of the phrase, substitutionary. We are speaking about a substitute. Question and answer 12 gives us a second option. We've seen the first one doesn't work yet. You can't pay your own debts off. There's a second option. It says the claims of God's justice must be paid in full either by ourselves or by another. This is why Christian theology speaks of a substitutionary atonement. Because another 
has stood in your place. Someone else must stand there to be substitutionary. Now, kids, we've been using this word substitute and substitutionary. This is like if you were in school and uh, you had a teacher that was someone other than your parents and the teacher was sick and someone else would have to come in and fill in for the teacher. That's a substitute teacher. Or let's say you're playing a game of basketball and you get worn out. And so one of your teammates has to come and uh, replace you in the game for a while. That's a substitute. Someone is standing in for you. When we talk about substitution in the Bible, we're talking about Jesus Christ. He has stood in your place to take the penalty of your sins. That is how Jesus is the substitute. And our reading in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, gets at this, this concept of Jesus being the one who stands in the gap and fills in for us. Paul says there in verse 3 of Romans 8, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. He has sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and then condemned sin in the flesh. Paul says that the law of God, which I hope you have caught in the catechism series so far, the law of God is holy and good and just and spiritual, but it has a particular function. And it does not save. That's not one of its functions. It can tell us to be good. It can even tell us how to be good. But it cannot make you good. That's not its design. It's not some deficiency in it. It's just not the design of the law. Our sinful nature then takes that law, holy and just and wonderful as it is, our sinful nature takes it and weakens its function. It is supposed to guide us in obedience, but we take it, we hear it, and we just don't obey it as we are supposed to. That's what Paul means when he says that the law weakened by the sinful flesh could not do what God had to do himself. And so God himself has intervened by sending his son. Why has he done this? He has done it because his son is the only one qualified to stand in our place. There is no one else to bridge this horrible gap between us and God. He alone can be the mediator between God and man because he alone is both God and man. There is no one else. This is Paul's point when he says that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Such a wonderful, kind of mysterious concept that we have actually been created in the image of God, but now God the Son has come down in our own image. In the image of sinfulness. He has not sinned. But he's come down in our sinful image. In order to be condemned in our place. For our sins. He's come to share in our human nature. That has fallen. 
and that is still inclined towards sin. And in that human nature, he alone is able to represent us all before the face of Almighty God. He is our mediator. Kids, we've been talking about that during our catechism time the last couple of weeks. He's the bridge builder between us and God. He's our substitute. The one who bears the penalty of sin in our place and relieves us of our debts to God. We have learned the first two parts of this key phrase tonight. Penal speaks of the penalty that happens when we do not pay our debts. And that is an eternal penalty. Substitutionary refers to Jesus standing in our place to bear that penalty. Now we've arrived at the phrase atonement. And this is the main reason why we read from Leviticus chapter 4, verses 27 through 31. Leviticus is a, a book of many laws and ceremonies that dictated to the Israelites how they were to have fellowship with God. It it is a book that was given to them in the wilderness. They've been saved out of slavery in Egypt. And they've been saved out of Egypt with the express purpose that their God would walk among them and they would worship him. But the the problem is that they are stiff-necked and they sin. And God is very holy. And so he has given them, in a, in, a, in a kind of strict mercy, he has given them this law so that he can have this fellowship and communion with his people. This is how you are to approach God, basically, is the message of Leviticus. Here's how you come to God. Now, uh, instead of the Israelites dying for their sins, an innocent animal would shed its blood in their place. We've read this, uh, we've read some different excerpts of, of Leviticus in previous weeks. And I want us to grasp what this was all about. This has to do with the concept of atonement. Atonement. Uh, our reading tonight was just a brief excerpt from the, the law of the sin offering, a particular kind of offering for a particular kind of problem. Um, it's an offering to God to get rid of sins. The guilt of sins. Uh, It is a removing of the debt so that sinful Israelites can approach God. And the ceremony leads to a certain kind of result. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 31. Here's the result. And so the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Do you see this is a matter of debt? Because something's being forgiven. Atonement means debts are being forgiven. That's the result of this ceremony in the sin offering. Now, what goes into this ceremony that leads to that result? You know what happens now at the end. What gets them there in the ceremony? Well, hands are laid upon the head of the animal to signify the transferring of sin from the actual sinner to this innocent animal. That's the symbolism involved with the laying of the hands on the head. Then the animal, which is now symbolically guilty of sin, is condemned for those sins by being killed. That is atonement. The condemning of sin 
to satisfy God's justice, to forgive debts. And this is precisely the thing that Paul has in mind in our reading from Romans 8, when he says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, that is, for a sin offering, God condemned sin in the flesh. And therefore, the debt is paid. And the debt is truly forgiven. Not it is now released up into the ether, but it is truly forgiven, and the justice of God is satisfied. Dear brothers and sisters, it is for this reason that Paul begins this chapter by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has been condemned in your place. What else now is there to punish as, uh, as the, uh, the, the penalty for sin? It has been fully poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has completely stood in your place as the mediator, both God and man. And because that condemnation has come and gone, your debts that have weighed crushingly upon you are gone. And it is true now, even even today, that you continue to add to the debt, but it is legally dealt with in the death of Jesus Christ. It is legally and eternally done. It has been condemned in Christ. And so your mediator forever stands in your place in the heavens, and he will not give up on you, and he will not suddenly fail to to plead the everlasting value of his wounds on your behalf, but his blood is always interposed on your behalf, always and forever in that holy place a once-for-all sacrifice for all time, a reminder to us, the people of God, that your sins have been dealt with, condemned fully in Jesus Christ, and forgiveness is yours. You have been atoned for, and the dreadful payment for sin is paid in full. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints and defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.